0: The Nail in the Coffin! It's episode 53 of The Nail. We are recording on Thursday night a snowy thursday night at least here on the east side of town uh, trev do you have anything on the ground over there
1: we have i mean a dusting you can see a little bit but nothing noticeable nothing worth talking about
0: that's uh oh boy you just rolled right into the theme this week that uh, that was a nice segue very smooth. yeah you like that
1: <laughs> <laughs> see what i did there it all comes full circle
0: Ah, uh, he's not the best in the business for nothing folks that's right kids <laughs> all right so here's the deal Uh, The Cavs after a small skid look like they're back on track Buckeyes aren't playing for like three weeks Indians have not made Any big offseason moves yet I know they've been kind of rumored to be In the mix for a couple of big names Um, And the Browns Of course are the Browns So really like Travis said uh, Nothing at the moment it's uh, really worth Going in depth about We don't have any guests lined up So we are going to try something a little different Uh, Travis and I are going to go back and forth uh, just kind of empty in the chamber here On uh, any random thoughts we had and observations we've had on uh, The old fine world of Cleveland sports For the past few weeks uh, Not going to spend more than a, a couple minutes On any subject And in honor of our favorite Comedian turned sitcom star Jerry Seinfeld We are going to call this uh, What's the deal? Um, and I promise you that will be the only <laughs> God awful Seinfeld impression You hear in this entire episode I've been is putting... it
1: just me? Is it, it's funny, though, you mentioned that because when I hear what's the deal, I don't even think of Jerry. I think of the time Kramer tried to do Jerry and he was talking about packing peanuts and all he could come up with was, what is this stuff? Why do we need this
0: stuff? Well, there's that one and then there's the other one when um, Kramer was in front of the uh, shower curtain or bed sheet or whatever that was hanging in Jerry's apartment and he takes a wooden spoon and, pretends he's a stand-up comedian what's the deal with <laughs> politics <And> he, <laughs> i don't get any of it <laughs> that's
1: one that don't, i don't think makes it to tbs very often because i don't think i've seen that one in years
0: oh yeah it was it was funny because i was looking it up and i was trying to think you know everybody always associates what's the deal with oh damn it i already broke my promise of not doing that again i <laughs> really always Just associates that line with jerry but he only Said it like once or twice in the entire history of the show. All these yeah, other people
1: sounds about right. Everyone else just mocks him for All
0: it. the other characters of the show kind of mocked him and, and did it in a in a joking way, I guess. And uh, George did it a bunch of times. Kramer did it a few times. And uh,
1: yeah, George's best one was when he was pretending to be an architect. <laughs> so, so "Oh yeah, I'm a comedian. Oh, what do you do? A lot of that. What's the deal with sort of stuff? <laughs> so in your shoe. What is that
0: canvas?" <laughs> All right.
1: We could could probably make a show out of this, but move on.
0: Yes. Well, this is moving on from the. This is the episode about nothing of the nail. So um, you ready to give this a shot?
1: All right. Kick it off.
0: All right. What's the deal with the Cavs rotation? So I'm I'm reading this morning uh, early on uh, the, the recaps and everything from last night's game at New York Cavs blew out the Knicks and Ty Lue especially candid uh, to a shocking degree. I thought in the post-game interview setting when he flat out admitted that the team doesn't have a backup point guard and their rotation is not going to be right until they get one. And I can't remember the last time I've seen a coach be that brutally honest about a glaring hole in their lineup thoughts.
1: Do you think he's trying to, do you think, do you think the front office is on the same page and agrees with him? Or do you think that's his way of sort of kicking their ass into gear and doing something about it? Um, Both. I mean, I agree with him. I think he does that. There was, it was sort of weird because at the beginning of the season, it seemed like there was kind of like rumblings that um, Shumpert might be able to fill that role. And that's um, really what they've really,
0: been relying on.
1: And- yeah, and I, I don't know that he's shown that he can do that uh, consistently, but it, it seemed like at the beginning of the year, that was something they were really like almost like, certain that they were going to run with and if they're if they're moving away from that i honestly don't even know what their options really are i i'm not crazy about I've, we've heard chalmers and norris cole's name thrown around and i'm not i don't really care for either one of them but um i, I don't really sus- know what the options are
0: i suspect it'll be somebody else uh, probably through a trade here in the next few weeks and i do think that tyloo was trying to light a little bit of a flare because he's probably anxious to try to set some sort of rotation. And he did admit after the game that the reason that Shumpert was not starting with J.R. Smith out of the lineup was because he still needed him with the second unit uh, to be running the point. And that's their solution for now, which actually leads me, if you don't mind, I'm going to actually go with uh, a second one here. What's the deal with DeAndre Liggins? He, uh, uh, well-traveled. I think he's actually, like, on his fourth team now with the Cavs and got his second career start. He's, I believe, 27 or 28 years old, and I got to tell you, I, I was, I, you know, he was this one of these end-of-the-bench guys just trying to latch on and, and catch on with the team, and I've been pretty impressed with the work that he's done since JR went down earlier this week, and, and Liggins is, seems like he's found a role. And when he's in there with a bunch of established star players, it looks like he knows um, he's out there for defense and, and to be aggressive and and to do the dirty work and kind of be a a poor man's backcourt version of what Tristan Thompson does uh, in the post.
1: Yeah. He's I'll admit, I haven't, um, I haven't watched a ton lately just because of things that are going on, but yeah, when I see him on the, Floor, it just seems like he almost has this feeling of like the rec league guy who is playing way harder than everyone else for lack of a better term. Like he's picking up guys to defend full court when nobody else is. Um he's busting his ass, which I guess I mean, like you said, he's been on a lot of teams, he's he's never really found a spot, so that that's what you have to do in that position. Um But it seems like from what I've heard um, from other guys on the team, they seem to love his style. They seem to love the way that he plays. Um, So I guess if he can maybe use this this time of added minutes to carve out a little bit of a role for himself, that might be a little positive going forward.
0: Yeah, And I'll say this, you know, Jordan McRae was the guy that got the first shot at this vacancy in the in the lineup. Uh, for the first month or so and didn't really do well with it. And I don't even think he got into the game last night. Um, if it, and if he did, it would have been in garbage time in the fourth quarter when it was a 30 point game. But uh, uh, you know, when, when you do get into that garbage time situation, it's kind of hard to get a feel for what kind of a player a guy really is. You get a lot of situations where, you know, some of those end of the bench players are just trying to get some numbers and, and put up shots and I thought it was really interesting to see Liggins actually in there with the ones because in this situation, he's not out there to score. You've got scorers all around and, and he's out there to play a very specific role. And um, and he did get a couple of shots up there. And, and, you know, if he can give you 15 minutes and take no more than like three or four shots and play real aggressive defense and be disruptive in the backcourt, You might have something, and and, and they need guys like that because I think the second unit to this point has been a little thin this year.
1: Yeah, and you always sort of see that with championship teams. It always seems like um, there's a guy that just kind of comes, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but kind of comes out of nowhere and gives you way more than you expected him to give you. Um, Like a couple years ago for the Warriors, it was uh, Sean Livingston um, and even Agadala to an extent. Um, I think Iguodala was the MVP in the finals, right? the, well, the one year that the
0: Warriors won it, yeah, he, he yeah, basically reinvented himself.
1: Yeah, he was. I mean, seventh, seventh or eighth man probably on that team at that point. And so, I think, and I'm not saying Liggins is going to do that, obviously, but if he can, if he can be an in, in, in eighth or ninth guy that gives you 15, 20 minutes, maybe probably not 20, but 15 ish, good solid minutes a night, then you're really happy with that. That's a, that's a very pleasant surprise. I think.
0: Absolutely. All right. Fire away. Give me one.
1: All right. Um, While we're on the subject of sort of those heart and soul guys that aren't necessarily um, the focus of their team, what's the deal with Draymond green still kicking everybody? (laughs) Um, This is not Cleveland related in any way, but the last two weeks, he's had other instances where he's fl- flailing his, his legs around like a wild man. Uh, the other night, he kicked <laughs> James Harden right in the face. Um, a couple days later, he kicked, I don't even know who it was, some other guy who uh, looks like he busted his hand all up. Um, I honestly thought they were going to address this, like, kind of strongly in the offseason because um, – no, no matter what he says, I mean, he, he, every time this happens, he comes out and says, well, you know, that's, it's a natural thing. And this is what no one else seems to have this problem except for, unless I'm missing it, he's got um, the Jimmy legs, <laughs> you, you know, you can get that in your arms too, <laughs> um, but, but, but he, he he's still doing it. And they're, they, it, I know he had a flagrant the other day, but nothing's really happening about it still. And Let's be honest. I know that they said last year during like the the finals and the playoffs that, you know, that's that's something guys do to draw calls. And, you know, it's the way that he plays down there. He's going against bigger guys. And all right. If that's part of your game, you need to adapt your game. (laughs) Like I thought we saw enough last year and it seems like they did nothing about it.
0: He's an asshole. There's really nothing else I can say about it.
1: Is that all it is, though? Like, yeah, I agree with you. He is. But I also love the way that he plays outside of that one thing.
0: Well, I I think that's part of the package.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I guess so. But you would think at some point, Coach, got to pull him aside and say, you already cost us a game in the finals last year. You got to stop doing this shit because it's going to cost you again.
0: And I think if you would talk to Warriors fans, they would say he flat out cost them the finals period because Yeah tough shit. Yeah. That's you know, Sorry about it. But tough
1: uh, shit. Yeah, yeah, if you ask Warriors fans, they probably want to forget that they blew a three to one lead in the finals.
0: Uh, oh, glory days for us. Um <laughs> <clears throat> speaking of asshole moves, uh what's the deal with the water bottle challenge? Did you 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 said you've not been paying close attention to the Cavs? Did you see what happened at the end of the fourth quarter last you night?
1: Bastard, you stole one from
0: me. Oh no. <laughs> I
1: had that one too. I have no idea what this is. I swear probably I honestly don't even know how long ago. It was probably like a year or so ago. I saw I was watching I went online and someone like shared this video and it was a kid in a talent show for like his high school. And he walks out real slow and he does this big huge setup like like a magician like lining up his his trick or whatever and he goes up he steps up to a table and he flips this bottle and it lands and the crowd just went insane and i think everyone was sort of in on the joke like yeah that's really stupid whatever so but we're gonna pretend that it was really cool what he just did and then now all of a sudden over the last like couple months Everybody seems to be doing this, and I don't fucking get it for the life of me.
0: I saw the original video that you're describing. I had no idea this was still a thing. I thought the fad had kind of passed like I didn't even ago. know it
1: was a fad. I thought it was a one-time thing that this kid did, and it was kind of funny because he just kind of pulled this thing out of nowhere and did it, but now it's like a thing that kids are doing a ton.
0: It is apparently, and uh, I, I, just, I was blown away to see the Cavs doing that on the bench while the game was going on and the ball was in play at the other end of the court, and LeBron sliding across the floor off the bench, pulling the water bottle back when, when they missed it or whatever. And um,
1: Did he stick it? Did he stick the landing with the bottle?
0: Kyrie did after the game was over. LeBron, I don't think, ever got it to stick. But, you know, it was just interesting because, you know, there was the whole dust-up before the um, before the game or a few weeks ago when, when Phil Jackson made his comments uh, kind of, disrespectful things about some of LeBron's friends who are, you know, now running the the business side of the operation and kind of downplaying their accomplishments and um there were some racial overtones to to that that I don't even think were necessarily intentional and they asked LeBron going into the game yesterday if he'd take the opportunity to talk to Phil Jackson face to face now that they're in New York if he got the chance and he said no i think he spoke loud and clear with um doing that while the game was going on after he had uh, just blown uh, Phil's team off the floor on national television in the world's most famous arena
1: on on 10 shots and summarily took them out of the game before it was even close to over. Essentially sort of a, Hey, look, I can do this and then I can go over here and do this stupid thing too.
0: That was, that was saying plenty. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, right. well, I can
1: agree with that. I sort of thought, this, uh, thought the same thing.
0: Well, I'm sorry I stole one of yours. so. Um, yeah, you son of a bitch. Go ahead. Move, move on.
1: All right. Completely different direction. For sure. What's the deal with all of a sudden everyone wanting to expand the playoffs again for college football? I was one of the few people that was against it the first time around when they went from two to four. And truthfully, I know it would take a uh, – national championship away from Ohio state. I still think it was better with two. I think this playoff has dressed and I guess I shouldn't say drastically. It hasn't really impacted the regular season as, as much as I thought it would originally. Um, but everyone seems to be saying now that we need to go to six teams or eight teams, which I think at that point, you you look at how that would have impacted the last regular this this most current regular season a lot of those games that were really exciting and we look forward to every week and and really made the season memorable would essentially be rendered meaningless no one would care about them it wouldn't matter who won them anymore like ohio state michigan wouldn't matter um ohio state wisconsin wouldn't matter penn state michigan wouldn't really matter um obviously that was a huge blowout so it doesn't really matter much anyways but um, there's so many games that all of a sudden it wouldn't really matter because that team would have gotten anyways, and, you know, who cares? Um, a, I can't be more strongly against the idea of six teams where two teams get a bye. I think that is horrible. If you were to expand, you'd have to go to eight teams, and at eight teams, I think you're letting teams in that don't deserve to play for a national championship. Your thoughts?
0: I will go one further and say I don't think there were four teams this year that deserve to be playing for a national championship.
1: I think, are you, I think are there you are Alabama? only three.
0: And I think I think Washington is going to get absolutely painted I
1: agree. in their
0: bowl game against Alabama. Um, I guess I, I really have a hard time justifying anybody getting in over them. But at the same time, I don't really think they're the fourth best team in the country. And if they are, I think that's more of an indictment on the state of college football this year. I think we've got – Uh, three really good teams that that deserve a shot at it and somebody just won the lottery to get the fourth spot and i i guess in that respect i could kind of see where six might make sense because i don't really think washington's any better than penn state or michigan so why do they get to play for it you're
1: giving you're giving such an advantage to those one and two teams oh you absolutely are just objectively decided and this year
0: and this year because alabama ran the table and, and admittedly weak SEC uh, being the only power conference team that went undefeated. Uh, maybe they deserve a buy. I don't know. But at that point, I think, you know, everybody on Sunday when they announced the brackets uh, kind of collectively shrugged at the the notion that Ohio State dropped from two to three because it was like, well, what's the difference? They're still playing in the same bowl game, and now they're going to probably wear their white jersey instead of their scarlet one, and maybe they'll stay in a different hotel and uh, use the visitor's locker room at uh, the Fiesta Bowl, but ostensibly there's no difference otherwise. Whereas if you go to six teams, obviously there's a huge difference between being number two or number three. So I I do think that eventually this thing's going to get pushed out to eight teams, and I think it's going to... It's going to have a lot of, uh, it's going to change the sport really more than than anything. And I don't, in some ways, I think it'll make for an awesome tournament. But at the other hand, one of the great things that we love about college football is that the regular season is awesome. And uh, I think, you know, the the college basketball regular season is really a a huge step below what the college basketball postseason is. And this is going to create that.
1: Right, and the thing that we always see with March March Madness is probably the, the most fun, like, overall playoff tournament type thing. March Madness is head and shoulders ahead of anyone else. That said, a lot of times the best team doesn't win. Like, we see more often than not the team that ends up winning six games in March— isn't really the best team in the country.
0: They're the best team right now.
1: They're the best team for three, for two and a half weeks. And they were the best team, you know, and it's not even necessarily they played the best. They just played. They just went the longest without winning. They won six games in a row and nobody else did. Um, So I think the one thing that college football has always had, and I think it's over any other sport is that they determine who the best teams are during the regular season. They don't just determine who the good teams are during the regular season and then decide who they think is the best at the end. Yeah. They narrow it down and then put it to, you know, two or in this case, four. I think if you start getting, like, you look this year, your Penn State's and I'm trying to think of who like seven and eight were. I don't know where Louisville even ended up. Um, Oklahoma, yeah. I think, was seven or eight. Um, Wisconsin, I think was still there, even though they were fourth in their conference and they lost three games. Like those aren't teams that deserve to play for a national championship. Good teams. They had nice seasons, but at the end of the day, they should not be in that conversation. And if you put them into a playoff, they're one win away, one, one upset away from, you know, playing for a national championship. And I just don't think that's the way it should go.
0: All right. right, Let's, let's move to the next one. I'm going to ask you, what's the deal with the bowl lineup overall? What uh, what do you think? I, I'm a pretty big fan of how the, the Bulls shook out this year. I think the New Year Six is going to be awesome, and we'll probably get into that in a lot greater depth in the week between Christmas and New Year's like we did last year. But I'm excited that Western Michigan is going to get a shot at play in Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl. I think Florida State and Michigan is going to be a nice game in the Orange Bowl, and um, uh, even the Rose Bowl is going to be good too. And, and outside of the New Year's Six, Uh, plenty of other good matchups to look forward to as well. I'm a little worried about my Bobcats having to go up against Troy in the uh, Dollar General Bowl down in Mobile. But uh, overall, I like it. What do you think?
1: And Urban Meyer just uh, just became a grandfather this week to a kid named Troy. So that's got to be bad for you. No, that, that can't bode well for the Buckeyes. That, that's not making me feel any better. That's, that doesn't help, does it? Well, but, he's, um, he's,
0: he's Troy's grandfather and he's Michigan's daddy. So you know, it, uh... it, it,
1: it, he's, he's spreading it all over the place, <laughs> spreading his seed. Um, I think Louisville LSU looks like I think it could be the most entertaining. Um, of the bowl games. It's the one that sort of jumped out at me the most, I will say, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about for a second though. Um, I was a little surprised the committee didn't jump Washington to three and leave and put Clemson at four because they said they were pretty close going into that last weekend. And I thought Washington was more convincing. They played a better team and they beat them more handily. Um, but also because the bowl matchups then I think for those two games would be a little more appealing um, in that you'd have big 10 pac 10 pac 12 now um, matchup in one of the games, which gives that sort of Rose bowl feel to it. And then on the other side, you'd have a rematch of last year's title game. Hmm. Um, So I was a little surprised they didn't do that, but that said, I'm with you. I think the bowl lineup has a lot of pretty good matchups to it. It's kind of interesting how this playoff has, I think made the secondary bowls, less meaningful like the those those bcs bulls don't carry the cachet that they used to um i know they're not called that anymore but you know what i mean sure um they don't carry the cachet they used to but i think they're in general more entertaining games than they maybe were in the bcs era
0: yeah it's been fun the last couple of years and I, I think it should be a, a good good run this year i have one more college related college football related topic but uh i, I i'm going to give you the opportunity here do you want to jump in with one
1: Um, yeah. What's the deal with teams still hiring Lane Kiffin as a head coach? Haven't, haven't we figured out that that doesn't work, especially at school like Houston that from what we saw, um, and I don't know if you saw this, but when Tom Herman got hired away, there, there was a a pretty vocal contingent in the Houston booster, uh, agency, uh, that were very angry that he was leaving after two years. Um, so the fact that they would go to a guy like Lane Kiffin, who clearly is always looking for his next spot, <laughs> um, doesn't really uh, – I don't know that he ever really gets fully invested anywhere he goes. Um, you look at the jobs he's done everywhere, it's been pretty incomplete. He's left them in a bad place, in most cases worse than he found them. Um, and just as a head coach, I just I, – he's shown that I, I don't know what else he needs to do like to show you that he's not capable of being a good head coach. Um, I think he's a good offensive coordinator, decent offensive coordinator. Although truthfully, I haven't been, I haven't been impressed with Alabama's offense this year um, or years past since he's been there. So what's the deal with that?
0: I, I agree. I think he, the one thing I will say is given his coaching history, and I think I was listening to 92, three on the way home and I, I can't remember who they had on. I want to say Pete Futek, maybe.
1: Yeah, he was saying he likes them.
0: Yeah, he, he kind of made a case for him, and it, it made some sense just in terms of saying that you know he bolted from Tennessee because he got a more prestigious job at USC, and then at USC he was kind of handcuffed by all the sanctions from the Reggie Bush episode, and that kind of derailed his his status or, or right, his, you can't his chances.
1: But you can't leave one really good job. Tennessee's a pretty damn good job. And maybe not it's maybe not tier one, but it's a, it's a damn good job. It can be a really good job say i'm going to this one because it's a better job and then when you get there say oh but i got these things that i gotta deal with so it's not really that much better of a job i got this other stuff that's gonna make it hard for me to do this job
0: like that's, I, I I will say this he, he's got a lot to prove and if Houston's, he's been
1: riding the last name Kevin his whole career let's
0: be honest and if if houston really wants somebody with some staying power and is going to be in it for the long haul that's probably not the guy that's going to be the right fit for that program and he should probably be looking elsewhere but
1: yeah if his name last name was johnson he'd be Working St. Ignatius assistant coach sidelines.
0: Well, I don't know. Chico Kyle has been, uh,
1: yeah, he runs a tight ship. He would never let that guy around his players. I,
0: I, I highly doubt it. All right. Well, speaking (laughs) of coaches jumping around, what's the deal with rich Rodriguez. And the reason I bring up rich rod is it was, I I saw a great story today at lunchtime 10 years ago today. I had no recollection of this whatsoever, but 10 years ago today, there was a story that broke that he was going to be the next coach at Alabama and something broke down in the negotiations. And he, this was when he was at West Virginia and he ended up staying at West Virginia. And as we all know, he went to Michigan, derailed that program badly in the few years that he was there. And uh, the, 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 the Sith Lord uh, Saban ends up moving in at Alabama and going on as good of a run as any coach we've ever seen in college football so can you imagine an alternate universe where rich rod takes the alabama job and what does that do to the rest of the college football landscape
1: my goodness that is (laughs) that is wow that's stunning um I have no idea. I honestly, I didn't see this article and I'm upset that you didn't send it to me so I could prepare and brace myself for that scenario a little better. What's the deal with Um, that? I know. (laughs) (laughs) I have no clue. I mean, obviously he didn't work at Michigan and I think Alabama is, is very similar in the way it needs to be run to be successful. Um, Because their, their definition of success is, is, head and shoulders ahead of anywhere like a West Virginia or in Arizona. He's gone Arizona and he's had a pretty good run there. He's a nice play. He's a nice coach there, you know, um, they're not winning the conference or anything, but it's an improvement over what they'd normally have. Um, I, it's, it's funny because more interesting to me, the one thing that I think about is where the hell would Saban be then? Cause he wouldn't still be in the NFL.
0: No, he was, he came from Miami. I think he had still been with the dolphins, and i i don't think he was going to last in the nfl with with his style so
1: so i honestly have no idea it's real that's that's a hell of a question um the dominoes that you can kind of connect connect there are all they all tie back you could probably tie back to every team and say well it would have changed this without stretching it more than like two or three degrees from each team you know so it's that's that's a pretty insane scenario, and I, I think his stay in Alabama would have been pretty similar to his stay in Michigan.
0: I agree with that. I agree with that. I try to imagine a scenario with Nick Saban at Michigan, but boy, that, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, what's the deal with this weather? I'm I'm watching in the background here the Thursday night football game, and Tony Dungy and Tarrico and Rodney Harrison are on the sideline here, halftime of Kansas City and Oakland, and Tony Dungy looks absolutely miserable to be standing outside right now. So um
1: Trico's working his paper route after this.
0: Yes, <laughs> he he's got the he's got the the uh, the cabbie crunchy, hat on that uh crutchy over here. <laughs> no, but um actually quickly let's uh go to the NFL here. Um wh- what's the deal with the big board? I I saw uh Mel Kuyper's projections right now. He has Mitch Trubisky Mentor graduate as the top quarterback on his board, and he's got Kareem Hunt, uh, former Willoughby South running back, as his um, uh, uh, top ten running back on on his big board. So uh, really, is, he is, doesn't
1: have Hunt in the first round, does he?
0: No, like a third or fourth round pick. Okay, so but still, that's is pretty is, cool. is the road to redemption for our beloved Cleveland Browns to basically uh, hire the the News Herald All Stars from about five years ago?
1: It's, it's kind of funny cause we had Kerry spear know. in
0: camp last, uh, last summer, you yeah, know, kicking you that's from, that's, Mayfield.
1: Some, that's something. Um, I, I don't know about Trubisky, man. Honestly, I wish we had, I would like to talk to a like Tilton or camp or someone like that, who watched him play a lot in high school. I know he lit it up in high school and I know he's been okay this year. And I just, I don't get why all of a sudden he, he's jumped up from he, he reminds me. I'm trying to think of a good comparison. I know there's been guys over the years and I'm drawn blank right now, but it seems like there's always some guy every year who as the season goes along, we don't hear much about him. And then with a few weeks left, it's like, oh, this guy's shooting up draft boards. That guy's never good. He never ends up being good. We never look at him again. Like
0: Carson I don't
1: know that's a I, I maybe yeah I, guess I didn't really probably, hear much about
0: Carson Wentz until no, after the season yeah was that's over.
1: A fair comparison I guess he didn't play d1 so that's a little different but um yeah I don't I don't know I would I would need I'd need someone who knows a little more than I do about that I guess I personally would probably shy away from it because of that and because he's only started one year there um that's a bit concerning to me as well um so I don't know. What do you think?
0: I, I will say that I, I want both of those guys to steer clear of the Browns, not because I don't believe in them as players, but I, I think they're such a mess of a franchise and the expectations and, and the desperate nature of the Cleveland Browns franchise right now. And, and just where they're at being the hometown guys, they don't need the added burden of being from here to, you know, as you're trying to make a spot for yourself in the NFL let those guys go flourish somewhere else. Don't put that on them. They, 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 they grew up around here and it's going to be hard enough for whoever does come in here. You don't need the hometown savior uh, angle weighing on you as well. So yeah, I, I'm kind of tongue in cheek out, when I so. say, uh, bring bring them in it. That, that was not a, a serious suggestion. So for their sake, yeah. and if they're going to be successful in the NFL, I'd be just fine seeing them go to uh, other cities when they get drafted.
1: Yeah, and they mentioned that with Cardale too last year. Yep, um, same deal. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it applies as much as Hunt with Hunt. Um, quarterback, obviously, is if, if you're a first round quarterback for the Browns. Yeah, quarterback or, expectations uh, are going to be through the roof.
0: So and, and running backs have they, such yeah, a short shelf life good. that you know, it's kind of hard to be making them a centerpiece of your rebirth i suppose so
1: all right go ahead if you get a running back in the third round or something that's not gonna i don't know that the pressure is going to be all that
0: high on him. that too
1: but in terms of uh talking about p- players potentially coming to the browns or being with the browns what's the deal with the browns not having signed prior yet we knew coming into this year you know there was two situations there was two possible outcomes with him either one he doesn't work out as a receiver. And, you know, you didn't give him that much money. You, you send him on his way Two, he develops into a nice player and you got yourself a steal um, at the wide receiver position where you're terribly thin already. Um, and you you were able to find out that he can play and then go from there. If you're not going to extend him, wasn't the experiment for nothing? Like, What was the point of even bringing him in if you were going to use him for one failure of a season? and then let some other team have him. What is what's What do you think is the delay there?
0: I think it's one of two things. I think it's either, number one, he has absolutely no reason to be signing right now, and he is biding his time, and his agent is biding his time, waiting for the offseason to come around, when you could get more teams involved in the process and get the most money that you can, there's, there's no reason for him to rush it right now. He's going to get paid, whether it's right now signing with the Browns or whether it's in February or March or whenever uh, the free agency period starts or number two, the Browns front office is that incompetent, which is also a distinct possibility, um, which actually leads me into my next one. What's the deal with the news that, it seems like starting in two years from now, they're going to be moving training camp down to Columbus.
1: Terrible. I just think it's stupid. I don't get the point. Um, I, I lived in Columbus for 10 years. Um, I'll tell you this. I, I saw a couple people online today and I was a little surprised by this. Um, who said, oh, Browns are already number one down there. They don't, they don't need to do that. I, I can tell you this. I went to, I spent a lot of Sundays in bars in, in Columbus. The Browns were not a clear ma- uh, majority ever that I can recall. Yeah, they had some fans, but there's just as many Steelers fans and just as many uh, Bengals fans in Columbus as there are Browns fans. So that's one thing. Second, no one's becoming a fan because you have training camp. In your city like that's not going to flip fans that are undecided and need to pick a team like I don't get the point you don't need to reach out to them they already have a pro team in Columbus they don't need they don't need your shitty team they have a team there that wins a lot already yeah What I, I don't get the point
0: I will say this I, I think really, it's a really may-
1: quickly I'm completely ignoring the fact that you're making taxpayers pay for a lot of your practice facility but continue
0: well, I was going to say, I think it's a big slap in the face to the people of Berea and, and what the city government in Berea has done in terms of um, helping the Browns with their, their headquarters there. And, you know, it's always been one of the nice things in the community here. It, I mean, there's so much ex- it's expensive to go to an NFL game, although I guess if you just wait until about week four, you could probably get into the Brown Stadium for a, a song and a dance. But um I do think there, there's a fun tradition that a lot of the diehards have of going to training camp. I, I went to training camp uh, for a day a few years ago. I got to kind of do some behind-the-scenes things with, because, um, you know, friend of a friend and, and all that. And uh, it was interesting, and it's fun. And um, I, I think the Browns are woefully misguided if they're going to be spending so much time trying to make an effort to grow their fan base in other parts of the state when they're rapidly losing people here on their home turf. And, you know, it's like we talked about a few weeks ago and just what a depressing atmosphere it is down there. And just how indifferent people seem like they are when they go to these games anymore. I I think we're finally reaching that point where the fan base in Northeast Ohio is kind of broken a little bit and, and reached their, their tipping point and doing this I I know I thought it was kind of odd that they were trying to spin it. The statement that they put out today was talking about how they're trying to really prioritize football operations. I know a lot of other teams have their training camps in other cities. I don't know functionally how that's going to make the Browns any better from a football standpoint, and it just really reeks of being a marketing thing, and like you said, not even a great one at that and it just feels like it's going to do more harm than good so
1: like can you imagine a scenario where like if you if you're really and the only reason i can see this this being a thing is that they want to sort of appeal to the the undecided voter in columbus if you're a fan in columbus and you're trying to decide between the three regional teams Training camp isn't going to be something that weighs heavily in that decision.
0: No, it's a fun thing to do if you're already a fan of the team, but it's not going to be the kind of thing that's going to get you to change allegiances or, or pick right. that side.
1: Right. And if, if the people are still fans of the Browns, guess what? You're not going to lose them. You've done everything you could over the past 10 years to lose them. And if they're still around, you don't need to do anything else. So, what's the well, I just don't get the point. Nothing about it makes sense to me. Um, And I hope whatever facility they end up going with and how that that works out for them, they're going to pour a bunch of money into it. I hope whatever they do, um, the facility is at least useful um, and benefits the community a lot more for the other 50 weeks out of the year.
0: Sounds like that would be part of the plan. And, And they did say that 11 months of the year, it would be a community center that would be used um for other purposes so i i guess the silver lining is that but i don't know
1: i'm sure that goes without saying and I, i've seen I, we always see that a lot but i feel like a lot of times we're like oh yeah it's gonna be a, a community thing and then it's never actually available for the communities to use when they need it so um i guess I'm, i don't know i'm not gonna pile on too much on that already but um i saw a thing online they're like oh yeah the browns are gonna pay five million and uh, someone's gonna pay five million, and then the city's gonna pay fifteen million, and then someone showed. They said, "Here's what's gonna happen." And then they showed a uh, Jimmy Hassan's net worth of like four billion dollars, and they're like, "Why does this guy need the city to pay for his fucking practice facility again?" No. But that is what it is. What are you gonna do? That's that's all right.
0: politics. Well, I'm I'm all too happy to move on from our our dumpster fire of a football team. If uh, you have any other. Topics you'd like to shift to fire away. Otherwise I've definitely got a couple more I'd like to get to.
1: What is the deal with this perfect season parade? It seems like it's caught a bunch of it's picked up steam in the last couple of days for some reason. Um and if those that are listening, if you're not aware, there's there's a guy on Twitter whose name is McNeil uh slash uh reflog eighteen. Um He's pretty funny. He often does like polls. He does a lot of like polls and tournaments and things on Twitter about random shit, basically. But seems like a pretty funny guy. Like I follow him. I've interacted with him a few times on there. Um, he started this this. Perfect season. And I put air quotes around the perfect if you couldn't hear them. I was doing them. Um to, to celebrate, and, and he, he points out that yeah, it's not really celebrating, it's just showing that we're still passionate about the Browns or whatever, um, but to commemorate them going 0-16. And for the life of me, I can't really get it.
0: I think it's a horrible idea. I read an interview with him on Waiting for Next Year today, and even after he explained it, I still don't get it. And it just, it... it I don't know I what it's I
1: think it's an idea that kind of got away from him I think he like mentioned it at one time Someone's like oh that'd be funny And he's like oh yeah it'd be funny right. and they, Before he knew it it's like oh shit We're, we're really going to try to do this And, and, and I, again I, like, I, I kind of wanted to be on his side Because I've seen it And I don't know the guy from Adam If he was standing in front of me I would have no idea who he is But He seems like a nice guy Like He seems pretty smart, he's pretty funny entertaining engaging online like not like a troll like not some asshole on twitter like me um so i wanted to i I kind of initially wanted to get behind the idea and just i can't do it i can't force myself to do it
0: i just don't know like what it's accomplishing and i I, I, like the browns aren't going to try harder to be better because a bunch of goofballs are marching around their stadium after they go on oh, 16. I just, I, 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 want this, this was a lost season from the get go. I went into this year thinking it was going to be a lost season. We we knew as soon as this was going to be, they, as soon as they drew the line in the sand and said, this was going to be a long rebuild and it was going to be a long process and there was going to be ugly days to go through. I, I knew that this year was going to be bad and this was about the worst version of it that you could possibly have. But I, I just, I knew from the day of the opening kickoff that the best day of the season would be the Monday after week 17 <laughs> because oh, that, uh, that would be when we could...
1: Tuesday because Mondays have uh, coach Sam. So <laughs> best days, best days are Tuesdays.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. But no, I just, cause then at that point, you could really start looking ahead to next year. And and I know we'll talk more about that once we get into January a little bit, because then you could finally turn the page on this and, start putting all those draft picks to use and maybe trying to actually do something in free agency this year. But yeah, I I have no interest in, in participating or, or watching any parades for an 0-16 team. But, you know, what, what's the deal with the 49ers? Because for our, as god-awful as this Brown season has been, you know, the silver lining of all of this has been that we're going to see the number one pick at the end of the year do you know that right now thanks to strength of schedule if the browns somehow fall backwards into winning a game and they end up going 1 and 15 they wouldn't even get the number 1 pick in the draft because the 49ers have only won 1 game and they've actually played an easier schedule
1: which confu- which is really surprising to me considering how bad the browns division is this year record wise yeah you know, I, I assume with you know the Steelers, with Steelers, Bengals, and Ravens are all pretty mediocre this year. They might be better than their record is, but that doesn't really matter for strength of schedule. Um, the Ravens are winning the division, and I want to say they're they're only seven and five since he's four and seven. Everyone expected them to be better, and if you look over, um, excuse me, at the 49ers, Niners. Uh, Division, I guess it's not really much better. this they have Seattle in it, but Arizona and LA aren't doing anything either. So I guess that that sort of explains it. But yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> as bad as the Browns are, San Francisco might be just as bad.
0: God help they us. They almost
1: beat they almost be Miami a week ago. I was watching that game. Um, it was like the bonus bonus time that came on after a game that I was watching. Um. I don't, I don't know, man. That'd be that'd be brutal to only win one game and still not get the top pick. That'd be so Browns.
0: That would be so Browns. All right, enough of the Browns. I've got some a few Same. more of these. I Thank want you. to get in, and I'm sure you do. As you're well. a merc-
1: you're a merciful. You're a merciful leader.
0: <laughs> What's the deal with the hot stove in Major League Baseball? Because we've been hearing for a few days now uh, the name Edwin Encarnacion linked to the Indians, and it started off with uh, most of the national scribes that cover baseball kind of laughing off the possibility and with the way these moves around the league have started kind of falling one domino after another, it's starting to seem like the Indians getting him is not that far fetched. And I'm going to go as far as to say that it might be a real possibility just because of a couple different things here. Number one, and I think this was kind of overlooked by a lot of people during the season uh, this summer, the Indians added a minority owner who um has very deep pockets from what I've heard, and that is going to help their payroll this year and Number two, I think the fact that we saw them trade for Andrew Miller at the deadline and really shift away from their philosophy of hoarding prospects for so long and it really showed a commitment to going all in while they've got this window open and you couple that with the fact that it actually worked. I mean, I don't think you could possibly have imagined a better performance by Andrew Miller down the stretch of the season and into the postseason. So taking a gamble, having a payoff, I know they didn't win the World Series, but I mean, it certainly wasn't his fault. I mean, he, he pitched phenomenally. So to, to be rewarded for that, I think the Indians kind of have had a shift in philosophy and they've got more money to, to play with now. And, you know, I think they got some extra money from that World Series run as well with all the playoff home games they had. So uh, the money is there and other suitors for Encarnacion are not. Um, So I don't know. I I think it could actually happen. and, And he's right now is the biggest bat on the market.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I heard that he turned down four years, 80 million from Toronto. And then the Indians were hesitant to offer him. I'm not sure if they did or what, I don't know what it is, but then it sounded like, the starting point with the Indians was three years, 60 million. So I don't really get why. And it, it might not, might not be true that he got the the original offer for 80 million from Toronto, but I'm not sure why he would have turned that down. Cause it doesn't seem like he's going to get that much from anyone. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It seems like, um, for, for all of the questions around whether the Indians will be able to re-sign Napoli. Um, Encarnacion would kind of make that a moot point, I think.
0: Oh, yeah. If they get Encarnacion, then Napoli's gone. Na- Napoli, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Napoli would be the, the the plan B here. And that's not a bad fallback plan to have. I mean, he did have a pretty good year through the first four or five months of the season. But uh, the possibility of, of going out and getting a guy like an Encarnacion would be pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, while, while we're on the subject, what what's the deal with people... Um, suddenly anointing the Red Sox as being the team to beat in the AL um, and and dissing the Indians, I guess, just because they went out and traded for Chris Sale this week. I I will be the first to admit, it's a a big move. It's a big move. He's He's a great pitcher. But, they are losing David Ortiz from the middle of their lineup, and the Indians have actually hit Chris Sale pretty well in the last couple of years. So, if if you're going as far as to think about pitching matchups and and postseason matchups and things like that the thought of having to go up against Chris Sale in a playoff series doesn't scare me that much and just to get there um i think the Indians have got in i mean it's it's dangerous to say this but an easier path this year coming into 2017 than they did in 2016 if you look around the rest of the AL Central. I mean, if you're just looking for a path back to the postseason, you know, the Royals just traded away their closer, Wade Davis. I know the, I mean, you got the White Sox that just traded away Chris Sale. They're in a rebuilding mode. You're hearing all sorts of things about the Tigers trying to unload JD Martinez and another one of their guys. So they're kind of trying to restock here. And I mean, obviously we got to see how everything shakes out. Cause I mean, to this point, the Indians haven't really done anything and, we're kind of expecting them to, and you know, other teams could always still be making moves. But um, I'm in no way, shape, or form losing any sort of sleep as an Indians fan just because the Red Sox went out and traded for Chris Sale this week.
1: Yeah, and Chris Sale's really good, but um, I think Purcell takes a step back. I think he kind of played uh, a bit above his head all season. Um, and until David Price shows up in the playoffs, he doesn't really worry me much either. Um, I'm not usually one who buys into that, like playoffs versus regular season Uh, for guys that play worse. I usually just assume, you know, they had a bad day. He's had a lot of bad days. (laughs) Like most, (laughs) most of his playoff days have been not good ones. So he's one of those guys who's at a point where, um, you got to do it now. We're not just going to assume that, yeah, you were really good during the regular season. So you'll be able to be really good in the playoffs. You got to start doing it eventually. So yeah, sale definitely makes them. Better, but I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't know that I'm ready to to crown them yet. Um, they should be slightly better, but Ortiz was fucking he was incredible last year for as old as he is. Um, so I th- think oh fake field goal that didn't work. Okay, <laughs> um, that's interesting. Um, but anyway, I I think people sort of underestimated because you know Ortiz was getting old, so they're like okay, he's going to take a step back. Um, he didn't he was he was their, you know he was their heartbeat last year I think losing him's gonna have a bigger impact than they really thought
0: I agree all right I have one more offbeat baseball thing but uh, do you have any I have an offbeat. sure go ahead
1: what's the deal with the rule five draft and you might not be able to tell me so this might be the shortest one we have what the hell is it? How does it work?
0: I I I read about this a long time ago, and I forgot everything I learned about it as quickly as I read it. So I I have nothing to add. And this is one of those subjects where we're going to need to get one of our hardcore baseball fan friends of the show on here to explain at at a future date.
1: All right, then go ahead. All
0: right. up. Um, what's the deal with the movie Major League? Uh, that's that's going to be the awkward transition Whoa. to to get to this um I don't know if you saw on Sunday Margaret Witten who played the Indians owner Rachel Phelps in the movie Major League died and she was 67 um I bring that up because uh, I learned not too long ago a very interesting bit of trivia about the movie major League do you know that the original ending they had to they had to rewrite the ending of major League
1: yes and it was terrible.
0: This all right. So for anybody listening out there who doesn't know, I'm gonna give you the quick rundown. The original ending of Major League, it was gonna turn out that Rachel Phelps, the character played by Margaret Whitten, who just passed away, was going to end up being the mastermind behind everything uh, with, that had to do with the Indian success. And it was almost like a prototype version of Moneyball and sabermetrics and all that. She was this. Mastermind that put together uh, all these overlooked uh, players and uh, uncovered, or, you know, these diamonds in the rough, so to speak. And she believed in them all, all along and basically made herself out to be this terrible person all through the season, to be the galvanizing force that brought them all together and gave them something to rally around. And it was going to turn out that she was supporting them and wanted them to succeed all along. And they actually shot the movie like that. And that was the original version they had. And then they showed it to test audiences. And she had been such a great actress playing such a bitch so well for the entire movie that when that ending was revealed, people hated it because nobody wanted to actually like her based on how awful she had been as a person throughout that movie. So they had to go. And I think by that time when all the filming was done, I think she had actually been over in france or something like that and they had to go and build a new owner's box set and rewrite the ending and get the the scenes that we ended up getting with her looking like she was ready to swallow her tongue sitting up in the in the owner's box during the one game playoff with the yankees
1: yeah it's an it's an ending that i don't know what and we always see this you know you always hear like What if so-and-so, so-and-so was originally supposed to play this iconic character? You know, can you imagine what it would have been like? Yeah, it's hard to imagine that now because we already have that character. But if they put that guy in, it'd probably be damn near just as good. So who knows? Really, it's easy to say um, in hindsight. But I can't imagine that that movie being any different in terms of um, specifically around her character suddenly being some sort of, you know, genius who really believed in these guys all along it's just it, no it, there's it absolutely it no chance right. that was,
0: there's no chance that movie, that movie stood for there's no chance that movie gets the cult classic status that it gets i I think so much of that
1: i think it looks more i think it turns into a uh a draft day
0: you yeah know,
1: everyone's like, eh, whatever is fine yeah exactly i i think again. there's I such that
0: a that a satisfying like stick it to the man thing that all these underdogs are rallying around and, and, and seeing somebody get their come up and so, that was so satisfying, even if you're not a Clevelander and you're not an Indians fan, I think there was something that was really relatable for just sports fans and, and just everyday people in general. <clears throat> I'm fading here. Um you're all right. that uh, you know, you would not have had had she suddenly turned out to be the the, the good guy at the end. So they made the right move by going the extra mile and reshooting that ending and, and rewriting the whole deal. So,
1: I agree. Thank, thank God they didn't go with that.
0: All right. Any more that you want to get out? I think I'm out. Well, you got anything left? I I do, but I I feel like we've we've kind of hit a good stopping point here. We uh, we made it. All right. It's going to be a nice. slow I week, like but you know what? I, I feel good. I, I think this turned out all right. I liked it.
1: Yeah, and I found the uh, I found the alternate ending. We'll be sure to put that up on the uh up on the Facebook page for those who haven't seen it.
0: Oh, that's actually available. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I've they never actually it. seen it's it. It's on there. Oh, yeah. No shit. Oh, yeah. Post that. Post yeah. that. <coughs> Damn it. Um post it right. on yeah, our Yeah, I'll
1: put that up. Yeah, I'll put that up on the on the Facebook page after we get off here cuz it's kind of I mean, it's funny. You'll watch it and you'll feel like you'll feel a little dirty afterwards like Ugh. so they actually put this on film and it's it's horrible wow so it's, it's a little cringeworthy it's it's kind of funny but uh yeah we'll put that up once we get off here
0: all right well there you go yet another good reason for you to go to our facebook page facebook.com slash the nail podcast you can see the never uh released ending to original ending to major league and Um, that'll be good stuff. I'm looking forward to checking that out because as much as I had read about that story, i never actually saw the the footage. So that's really interesting to me. Good, good shit, man. Definitely get that posted. All right. Well, um, as always, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, our website where you can stream all of our past episodes, thenailpodcast.com. Go like our Facebook page when you go check out Um, the major league original ending and uh trav and i will be back next week and uh, i guess we will talk to you then
1: the korean war has sadly been known as the forgotten war but half a century earlier the united states was locked in a bloody conflict in asia that's been all but erased from the history books hi i'm alex hasty the host of ohio versus the world